Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I'm excited. Our longtime favorite guest here on the podcast, Patty Strand from the National Animal Interest Alliance, always a mouthful, is here to talk to us. And I'm so depressed, okay, because NAIA's conference is happening Memorial Day weekend, and I already have a judging assignment, and I can't go. And I am so sad, because this is going to be... You are sad too, Laura. Well, I'm just... I yeah, This is great. I mean, there's a ton of really great speakers. Trupanion is the official pet insurance partner of both Pure Dog Talk and Westminster Kennel Club. I am thrilled to be attending Westminster this year, supporting Trupanion and their breeder support program. As the gold standard, Trupanion Breeder Support Program partners have exclusive access to Trupanion's go-home day offer. Through these offers, Trupanion can provide owners and their new puppies with 30 days of immediate coverage and no waiting periods. Take a listen to this testimonial from breeder and veterinarian Dr. Karen Potter. When I became a Trupanion breeder and I sent my litters out, I knew that they were going with 30 days of coverage had one of my owners have an emergency with them. That's comforting to me as a breeder to know that they can get help. As a veterinarian, there are many cases where we have to make decisions on how to treat things based on financial restraints. And when the financial restraints come into play, we can't always do absolutely everything for that pet. So if my puppies are covered, at least for those first 30 days, I know that if they get sick, they can get the best possible care. So what about your pets? Connect with Trupanion or visit them at their Westminster booth to learn more about their exam day offer program, which can jumpstart coverage in the 24 hours after your next exam. If you'll be at Westminster, I'd love to meet with you and hear how Trupanion has helped you and your dogs. Book a time to connect with me at the show by going to my partner page at puredogtalk.com and receive a free gift for your time. Remember, when it comes to protecting your champion and their litters, Trupanion has got you covered. So, Patty, welcome. Tell us what you've got lined up for this year. Yep, we are coming back to Portland for the first time since 2007. That's a long time. We've been moving the conference all over the country. And this year, it's all about preserving our breeds. It actually, I guess in some way or another, it's always been about preserving our breeds, at least the ones that are focused on dog people, which this one is. So it's our 31st conference, and it is just an absolutely spectacular lineup of speakers and yes, I'm really Brandon for Pete's sake. I love it. What a scoop. Yeah, we really love her. And she has a brand new book. It's called Visual Thinking. And of course, you know her work with livestock production, but it's all about having kind of a gift to be able to see things that others can't. And she thinks that animal people, dog people like us, have a little bit extra of that skill set than maybe most people do. So it's really going to be nice to have her back again. She actually was with us once before, did a nice job. We have, as I said, the conference is focused on preserving 
our breeds. Right. And there's just a lot of challenges for dog breeders today. Obviously, you know, some of the basic things like just urbanization, not as much land for people to have big kennels, and it leads to having a little trouble maintaining our gene pools and that sort of thing. We also, like most other event activities, are losing youth. We do not have the young people coming on that we did before. So we're going to have a little segment on that as well. We have speakers like Marty Greer, who is one of the most popular reproductive vets in the country. He's very popular on Pure Dog Talk. So y'all Pure Dog Talk listeners, go see Marty at the conference. Yeah, and she's an author as well, and she's done a lot of really cutting-edge work in this area. So she's going to be interesting, and she's going to talk a little bit. She's going to add to her talk some information about what you can do in this era of vet shortage because many of us have had the experience middle of the night on a weekend when one of our dogs decided to have puppies a day early or late, and we have a problem, and we go to the vet, and we sit in the parking lot waiting for our turn for hours while our dog has trouble. So she's going to give us some tips on what to do in that situation, what kinds of things to prepare for. We also have Claire Wiley, who is the new executive director. I love her. She was just on the podcast. She's amazing. She's really fabulous. Yes, she really is. And the new program, the new AKC DNA program, it's just one of the greatest tools that dog breeders have been given in the last, what, since I started. I mean, we did what's called progeny testing 50 years ago when I started, which is you waited and you saw what you got and you hoped you didn't get something that was disqualifying or life limiting. But you only knew by actually producing them in the first place. And so now we have the ability to, you know, identify genetic markers in advance and not put certain combinations together. And I think that's going to be a really good presentation. We have Carmen Battaglia coming. Yeah, he's he's good. And it's the neurological stimulation of puppies. We're going to learn about that. I have a wonderful behaviorist, veterinary behaviorist, that's going to talk about raising puppies after they leave their home, when they get into their new home, Catherine Pancras. Pancras, uh, yeah, that is fabulous. Yeah, That is so important. And I don't know that John Q. Public understands how important that is. I'm learning. I have a dog that is really teaching me new things right now about what I should have done. Cindy Buckmaster, you know her as well. She is a lab animal scientist. She's a caregiver, another PhD animal scientist, and just a fabulous speaker, fabulous person. She's going to talk about some of their challenges. So it's related, but there's some overlap. It's certainly different than raising dogs for the show ring. Legislatively, we have found ourselves working with a gentleman by the name of Phil Goss, and he is the president of the USA Reptile Keepers. And so he's going to talk a little bit about, yeah, and he's a great speaker and a lot of fun. And he's going to talk about the difficulty of trying to preserve a species that is not particularly cute. And it really is difficult. I've been in legislative sessions. And the thing that's interesting, I think, for dog breeders is if you're a dog breeder, you know everything about, you know, what a hawk is and, you know, about stops. We have our own language to talk about our dogs. And we also have tons of information about genetics and just all the things that go into raising them right. What's really interesting is listening to the reptile people come in and talk about the particular species that they love. And they know as much about their species as we know about ours. A friend of mine was so excited. She just placed some chickens in a show home. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> well, there are some oh. really cute chickens out okay. there. So. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I think was really striking when I was looking at your conference schedule, Patty, it says preserving our breeds, but then the tagline to that is preparing for the looming dog shortage. And I think even within our circles of preservation dog breeders, there is a fundamental misunderstanding that all shelters are overflowing and all these dogs need homes. And we carry that burden, that weight of that on our shoulders at some level. So I really wanted you to touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Well, there has been, you know, historically, there were huge dog surpluses for most of the last hundred years. But since about 2000, somewhere in there, most of the northern states have moved into a position where supply and demand are about equal. In many states, certainly Oregon and Washington, there's greater demand than supply from local dogs. So they have been importing dogs from other states and from other countries to make up for what they haven't had. I mean, shelters, in order to be valued and in order to receive donations, if they're private shelters, if they're not engaged primarily in public health and safety, but rather in sheltering dogs that have been mistreated or abandoned, if that primary mission isn't there anymore, they've had to bring in dogs in order to have dogs in their shelter. And there has been some consolidation. Shelters have been merging with one another. And right now, I must say, you say that you hear regularly that shelters are full. They actually are fuller right now than they have been for the last four or five years. But largely, and there was a study done on this in California, it has a lot to do with the fact that many shelters were closed during COVID. They're just now really getting back into full swing. And in many cases, as California study points out, that they are having trouble with their vet shortage as well. And so getting animals moved through the shelter, getting them spayed, neutered, and ready to go, they're having to maintain much longer holding times. So that's kind of interesting. The vet shortage is beginning to affect all of us. But long story short, you know, the good news is that a lot of states that have historically had lots and lots of surplus dogs for the northern states are starting to solve their dog surplus problem. They've enacted leash laws, you know, different kinds of laws for confinement. If you get into a place like Texas, you have so many street dogs, you can't possibly clean up your surplus until you eliminate your street dog population. And you still have that in some of the southern states. But more than that, what you're seeing now, you're seeing a real decrease in the number of local dogs going into southern shelters, but you have a huge pipeline of dogs coming in from Mexico now. They're coming up I-5 in a torrent, and they're coming up through Texas in particular. So an awful lot of the dogs that we have in the northern Shelters right now either come from southern states or from foreign countries. You're familiar with the Healthy Dog Importation Act that we've been working on forever, and it looks like this year might be our big lucky year. We're trying to get it added to the farm bill. You're going to see some alerts from us. Good. Patty, I think a lot of people still, as many times as I've said this with you, are unaware of the research, the actual data that NAIA has acquired during their shelter study that is actual surveys of actual shelters, not just, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did the only really comprehensive study that's ever been done. We looked at two shelters in each of the nine census divisions, and we actually looked at the dogs that were present in their shelter every single Monday morning for 52 weeks, Mm -hmm. and turned out it was 5.02% 
of their entire population were purebreds, for one thing. Mm -hmm. And then that was validated. We were really excited. Royal Canin did a study using DNA. They didn't have as wide a spectrum of shelters to look at, but it came in at 5% also. So yeah, we're very clear on that. And you know, I guess that probably, you know, the name of this is, as you pointed out, the looming dog shortage. Well, there won't be a looming dog shortage in the United States, actually, as long as there are street dogs in China and Egypt and Mexico and South America and so on because of this humane relocation. I started to mention a minute ago that with the Healthy Dog Importation Act, one of the things that happened is CDC banned the import of dogs from 113 countries that had a high incidence of rabies. But unfortunately for us, one of the countries was not Mexico. So what has happened in the last year or so is that we've just been faced with this flood of dogs coming up from Mexico and people are beginning to breed them. You can go to some in Mexico. And so it's a matter of displacement. I could say the looming purebred dog shortage or the looming shortage of dogs that are deliberately bred rather than random bred or bred in countries that don't have the same standards that we have. So yeah, there always will be dogs available as long as there are street dogs in developing countries. So anyway, we're going to talk, we're going to focus more on the deliberately bred dogs and talk about how we preserve them. Yes, I love that. And so I know you said you'd had Temple Grandin before, but it hasn't been during my awareness of the conference. So share a little bit, if you would, what you think she's going to be discussing, because I do think that that's going to be very much of a highlight. Yeah, she talks in this current book, and I have read a number of her books. To me, this book really speaks to me. It's called Visual Thinking, The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions. Mm -hmm. And if you get into this book, she talks about different categories of work that people get into who have these gifts, and animal people are among them. So engineers, people who are able to design really complicated things. And it's about the gifts of people who are able to see through a lens that is not just typical. And she does think that people who work with animals and have this high degree of observation, I mean, all of us are in the mode of observing our dogs, our animals every day. We pay attention to every hair on their body and we're able to describe it and so on. Anyway, it's a really good book. We're going to have about 100 copies there so people can... Get a copy. She surprised us last time she spoke. She's going to speak about what's important to her. She was one of the people who gave some insight and help to the Canine Care Project, which is helping the commercial breeders. It's the program that they have that has really high standards across the board, and she had a lot to do with that. So she may talk a little bit about that. I wish I could tell you more, but I really don't know. That's okay. I'm trying to get a little sneak peek for peeps. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. I hear from folks pretty much daily asking for a specific topic or for a series of podcasts on a topic. So ask and you shall receive. (laughs) I've done all the hard work. I've sorted, searched, and compiled eight different albums from the archives on our most popular topics. And when I say there's a podcast for that, I ain't just a woofin'. 
Getting yours today is super simple. Just jump on puredogtalk.com backslash store and click the PDT albums image. And when you're in there, you're going to find a collection of veterinary voices. You're going to find a collection for breeding and whelping hands-on. You'll find Pure Dog Talk University on dog breeding. Love the breeds. Up your game. Owner handlers, the interviews, events and sports. There is so much there. And once you're in those links, you'll be able to read the details of the topic. For a special introductory price of a buck ninety-nine, you get a link to dozens, up to more than a hundred episodes on these specific topics. And while you're there, if you or a friend or family member are just getting started, even just starting a search for your first well-bred purebred dog, you can also check out Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs at puredogtalk.com backslash book to get the foundational Pure Dog Talk episodes with bonus tracks. So hop on it, y'all. These special prices will not last. I know that legislation is going to be one of the topics. It always is such a huge part of what NAIA does for us is combating legislation. So we've got a couple minutes if you want to give me your top three major ones you're worried about right now. Basically, the bottom line is that we are not in charge of the conversation about animals in the United States. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about breeding dogs or you're in the livestock industry or you're working in lab animal medicine or in a zoo. Basically, the fundraising groups are the ones that are telling the public about what you're doing. So we are going to have some workshops and the workshops are going to, you may not know this about me, I I work on legislation all the time, but I think in some ways legislation is really the last ditch effort when you failed at communicating who you are, what you stand for, the value of what you do. And so we're going to talk, I think, more at our conference about communicating what we do effectively through different platforms and so on. Legislatively, it just never stops. You know, starting back in about 1988 with the San Mateo breeding ban, 1989, somewhere in there, we have been faced with legislation that is really brought to us from people who would like to displace us. You know, a lot of times, if you're working on an issue like a pet store issue, which is not something that a lot of hobby breeders can really relate to, but they should, because by the way, we are defined under the Animal Welfare Act as pet stores ourselves. People don't realize that. Hobby breeders and people who sell directly to the public from their homes are considered pet stores, but because of the small number of animals that we have, every time it comes up, we are exempted again. So what's important about engaging on all these issues, though, is that very, very often with our community, if it's an animal issue, if it's a pet issue, a dog issue, that they can't personally relate to, they don't get involved at all. And what happens then is the folks who are bringing this legislation have not only the ability to promote that particular piece of legislation, but to convey a narrative about how the whole world of pets is organized. And of course, they are the people who wind up then with lawmakers thinking that they're the experts, they're the ones to turn to on all of these issues. So there's just a lot about, I think, in our message at the conference, 
we are going to be focusing more on specific actions that people need to take and trying to put some tools in their hands so that they can do it really easily. We have had some absolutely marvelous speakers on communication that come in and talk to us about writing a good op-ed piece or a good letter to the editor. But you know what? People go home and they really don't know what to do. It's a difficult process. And we're going to put some specific things in people's hands so that when they go home, they can easily take action. That's what's really important to me. And one of the things that I've taken away from our number of years now of conversation is the importance of making sure that your community, large, small, niche, whatever, recognizes you, each one of us as preservation dog breeders, as subject matter experts. That's right. Establishing ourselves in our community as such. I think that was one of the most powerful things that I took away from one of our very first conversations, and it has 100% stayed with me. Well, it's absolutely true. There's a pet store bill in Oregon today, and I have written against it when it was in the house, and I wrote against it again today. But I was just looking at the list of people testifying, and there were about, I'm going to just guess here, somewhere between 18, 22, somewhere in there, 100% in support of the bill. And 100% of them are involved with retail rescue or sheltering. And so in many ways, it is about people who see themselves as marketplace rivals for those of us who are preservation breeders and are trying to maintain our breeds and improve our breeds. They want to own the marketplace. And I think that something as simple as that is often missed by people on our side. One of the things I mentioned in one of the letters I wrote this time was that, you know, all of these people that are bringing this forward really should announce at the very beginning that they have a conflict of interest. They are in exactly the same business, but theirs is nonprofit. And as it happens on the pet store issue, they're also not regulated anywhere close to the same extent. They're not offering warranties. They don't take dogs back. And nobody knows what the heck the origin of their dogs is. Is it from down the street or was it from Egypt? We really don't know. Actually, right now with the CDC ban, we know it's not from Egypt, but it could be from Tijuana pretty easily and has a really good chance of that. So anyway, let me go back to, I mentioned Temple Grandin had a lot to do with the Canine Care Certified Program, which is a program for commercial breeders that it it is a particular set of standards that commercial breeders have to meet in order to be certified by this program. Has some really, really wonderful things in it. I mean, actually things that any breeder, hobby breeder, commercial breeder could learn from. And her new book, which is Visual Thinking, is about basically the gifts of being able to see clearly and maybe through a little different lens than a lot of people have. And I think that that's really relevant, and so does she, for people who are engaged in husbandry. Because it is a lost art. I mean, how many people are, you know, if you go back 120 years, everybody at least knew something about horses, right? I mean, before the automobile, people don't know anything except what they hear on the radio from the fundraising groups, or, you know, they'll see a picture on television of a horrible kennel, and they'll form their ideas about that. But we have bigger problems in our own community. We have a lot of people who define their part of their worth, and certainly not all of their worth, but as people who rarely breed. They're breeders, and one of the things that they want to tell you is that, but they very rarely breed. Never breed. <laughs> never, I never have a litter of puppies. And yeah, yeah, this yeah. is such a valuable part of the conversation, Patty, that we really, and I get a lot of funny looks sometimes, but I tell people all the time, we need more dogs. 
We need more well-bred dogs produced by people who are willing to stand behind those dogs, do the health testing to create healthy, well-raised puppies to go into the communities. Mm -hmm. And as long as we buy into, as you say, the animal rights agenda that says, you know, breeding dogs is terrible and say, oh, but I only ever breed once a year and I'm very virtuous. We are driving the dog buying public away because it's too hard to get our dog and you have to wait five years. Like my kid's going to be in college by then. Well, a big part of the conference is dedicated to helping people breed better dogs, raise their dogs better. You know, the socialization pieces are all about that. The DNA piece, Marty coming in and talking about different aspects of reproduction. But again, we need to bring the youth back and we need to get people to understand just what you said exactly, that in order to preserve their breed, a big part of that is breeding dogs. Breed dogs. Yeah, yeah. And there are so many breeds today where you have you know, a hundred or less dogs in the entire country, not just a hundred dogs that are intact, but just a hundred dogs of that particular breed. So we're pressed to do that. And we need to encourage people to breed better, breed in a way that supports every aspect of animal welfare and so on. But breed dogs is part of this preservation piece. You can't preserve them if you don't breed them. So so that's absolutely true. And I have talked to a number of people that are breeders of rare breeds. The corollary to that is you need hounds. So convincing people they want an otter hound instead of a doodle. This is a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the doodle people are different than us in that they promote their dogs and they promote their breeding. You go to their kennels and it is not a list of 10 thou shall nots. And very often when you come to our websites, the virtue signaling, I mean, it's true. We are proud of what we do. We should be proud of what we do. I'm not knocking any of that. But there are so many different obstacles to being able to actually purchase a puppy from us in many cases that it's much easier to go to a doodle breeder who says right on their website how much they love their dogs and they love breeding them and they love placing them with the public. And, you know, for about twice as much as what you'd pay any place else, you can have one of them. And for <laughs> so. about 10% of the quality of health testing and some of the other things. So, all right. Well, Patty... The conference starts May 26th, which is a Friday yeah, with a nice reception. Reception is Friday night, and I think a lot of people have signed up, a lot of people from the various kennel clubs all over Oregon and Washington, and there's some people flying in from the East Coast I'm excited about. So the social aspect of all of this is really good, too. We it's love fabulous. the reception. Everybody gets together and trades notes and so on, and then the conference most of Saturday will be spent with all of these wonderful educational programs and then on Sunday we'll do some workshops and this is where we'll put the tools in people's hands to go home with and hopefully we'll get a good network set so that we can all stay in touch afterwards on Saturday night we have Dave Sparkman coming up to sing and play the piano for us and that's always fun too so it's a social venture as well as educational it is I have quite enjoyed the conferences I've been able to make it to and I encourage everybody chop chop not at a dog show be at the conference and if you can skip a dog show maybe this is one to skip so 
<laughs> I don't ever want anybody not to go to a dog show or, you know, what we don't want to take their place. We want to augment that. But the nearest dog show is over five and a half hours away. So I don't think we're going to really impact it too much. Well, I just think that there's a dog show almost every weekend of the year, and there's only one NAIA conference. So let's... No, thank let's, you. Thank you. Let's well, you've what been, we can do you, to get that supported. You were at the one in Washington, D.C., right? I was. In fact, that was my first. Okay. You've been to two or three? I've been to two. I went to Washington, D.C., and I went to Florida. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I knew you'd been at least then we two, had but the pandemic, and then we had some other stuff, and I can't remember what all else happened. But I have been to two and enjoyed them tremendously, and really encourage people to step out of their comfort zone, maybe, and give it a shot. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.